SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 26 with guest Chris Randall. Our guest today is Chris Randall. With 18 years in IT, Chris has been a trainer, a developer, a database administrator, a courseware author, and a consultant. He's worked with and trained customers in the US, Canada, Bermuda, and Australia, recently settling down as a senior trainer for Ameriteach, a gold-level Microsoft-certified partner for learning solutions. Overwhelmed by trying to keep a top Visual Studio development and database work, Chris now focuses exclusively on SQL Server development and administration, including Microsoft's business intelligence toolset. At MCT since 1996, he's also spoken at several industry conferences, including SQL Pass and MCT Con. A graduate of Princeton University, Chris lives in Colorado's front range with his family, pets, computers, and guitars. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Greg. As I do with most people, I'll get you first up to tell us how you came to get involved with SQL Server at all. Well, I, I, I suppose you could say I upsized into it. Um, I didn't come from a, uh, a computer science background when I when I fell into IT, um, but I wound up uh, sort of bootstrapping and uh, uh, went from desktop databases, including a brief uh, summer with uh, an, an Informix PC-based product way back in the, in the mid-'80s, into D-based development and Fox Pro, um, and then, as a trainer, found myself in doing Fox Pro and Access, and uh, realized that SQL Server was the direction I wanted to get into. And uh, back in the 6.0, and then into 6.5 days, um, grew into that. I've been learning since. Indeed, I, I must admit I've seen you on the trainer groups uh, for a, what seems a very long time, <laughs> and I think where I first came to you. Sometimes it feels like a very long time. Yeah, I've been a SQL. I guess I was, became uh, an MCT in 1996, actually in, in, in Visual Basic first, um, and then used the uh, MCT private news groups for a couple of years while I learned SQL and became certified in 1998. Yeah. I notice you mentioned Fox Pro in your background there as well. Have you got any uh, sadness about the impending demise of it? Honestly, I don't. <laughs> I, I saw Fox Pro developers the way I see uh, Macintosh users, and, and mind you, I say that as as the uh, as somebody sitting in front of a, a, a Mac notebook. Um, yeah. A fiercely proud community that was uh, um, more convinced of their market share than the numbers actually indicated. Ah, uh, yes. In fact, that's one of the uh, the. That the points I often hear made about the Apple uh, situation, they keep talking about uh, how you how you manage to achieve five percent market share and fifty percent mind share. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that reminds me of the Fox Pro folks I knew. 
Indeed. No, well, I must admit, I found them a very passionate community, and I did speak at a few uh, at a local Foxborough conference. Uh, Craig Bailey ah. of the local MVPs ran, and mostly that was in line with giving people an idea of what would happen when they're sort of trying to migrate to SQL Server. But certainly, I, I did. I, I suppose I found them a couple of things. One is, I found them a very passionate community about what they do. But interestingly, also, it was an I would class it as an ageing community in that yes. there were no young people at all uh, coming through into the product. That sounds a bit like that uh, Hollywood film from a year or two ago. Was it uh, Child of Men or something like that? Where yeah. The last child died off and there was no future. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It's uh, it, it seemed very, I suppose, yeah, very sad from that point of view. But... Regardless, so you moved into SQL Server, and so you said around about version 6? Yes. And thoughts and then, back uh, at version 6? What, what what were your reactions when you got involved with it at that point? Well, having come from the, 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 the desktop experience, it was, uh, it was a, a, a blast of cold air in my face when I first uh, first started learning uh, learning SQL Server. Uh, um um, on, on the one hand, I, I really enjoyed being thrust into what was essentially a command line mode again after a couple of years with uh, Microsoft Access and Fox Pro and Windows. Yeah. Um, and I have ever since enjoyed and, and, and in my in my training classes emphasized, uh, uh, if, if not command line management, at least scripting management. I'm delighted to see that in, in current versions, uh, T-SQL is not going away. So. Uh, no, in fact, you'd probably... it, was a, it was a very different approach and, and a different mindset. Um, you had to learn a whole lot more about the, the operating system uh, to, to, to really understand SQL Server than you did a desktop database, at least in my experience. Yes, that raises two things. One is that uh, with SQL Server 2008, there's much stronger PowerShell uh, yes. integration. And so uh, for someone with a, a command line or scripting bent, that should be of interest, I presume. Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learning more about that, and I've been following uh, Alan White's uh, blog posts on SML, uh, SMO and, uh, and PowerShell quite closely lately. Excellent. Yes, well, a little shout-out to Alan. I was uh, sitting with him at a conference <laughs> a few months back. I was wondering if you were going to do a shout-out. I, I was the recipient of last one. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. That's very much. And, look, that leads us into the topic for today, which is, uh, regarding SQL Server certifications. And it's interesting when you mention about the fact that you needed to know a lot about the operating systems at the time. Uh, one of the earliest uh, topical issues that came up with SQL Server certifications was the previous requirement to have certifications in the operating system as well as in the product. Um, but we will come back to that because <laughs> I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. But first up, I think we just need to talk about the whole concept of certification and does it have a place and does it have an importance and what are your thoughts? Well, I think I, I, I think there's a very wide range of opinions about the value of IT certification, but more specifically the value of SQL Server certification. Um, in, in preparing a little bit to, to chat with you today uh, about this topic, I went back and looked at some archives from, for example, uh, uh, SQL Magazine uh, and uh, Brian Moran's column and Mike Hotek's column and a, and a couple other folks who've been vocal about um, either the need for 
SQL certification or the lack of need for certification or the need for a higher level certification. And it's been interesting to go back and look at that in light of the changes that have happened since SQL Server was, uh, well, merely an elective for the old MCSE track. Yes. Um, it's really taken its, uh, taken a life of its own. And, uh, I think that solved some, you know, the, by a life of its own, I mean having separate tracks for SQL Server as a standalone certification. I think it's, uh, raised some issues and it solved some problems, but I, I, I think it still gets back to the original question. Is it valuable? And I really think that depends who, whom you ask. Yep. I mean, what, so if we take it from the point of view of uh, let's start with employers, for an employer, what's what's the interest? Well, I think that at some point an employer can look at. Um, well, let me let, let me let me backtrack a little bit. My friend and colleague Russ Kaufman, who's an MCT and a yes. and a clustering uh, MVP. Um, talks about certification as a way to test a minimum set of job skills and that that uh, and, and also that uh, Microsoft training tends to try to provide a, a sort of a minimum set of, of, of skills and if you take that from the employer's perspective it would be nice if a certification did in fact um, demonstrate a certain core knowledge but I don't know that the certification as it stands today, which is in the, the, the technical specialist, the TS track and the IT pro track, I don't know that, that the message is clear that what, that, that those sort of, what, what those certifications are designed to do and what they're designed to demonstrate. Yeah. Um, so I don't think there's a clear message to employers that SQL Server certification means a particular uh, set of skills or a set of knowledge. Actually, one question I'll throw in for you there is relates to the number of people certified. Now, one of the things that was interesting is that if you go back a long way, it was interesting that you mentioned that it was an elective in the MCSE program, which is the Systems Engineering uh, certification. It was also an elective in the developer certifications at the time. So it was uh, we had two lots of interest in the SQL Server certification, is that if you did it, you could... Uh, use it towards both uh, an IT Pro style certification, and you could use it towards a developer style certification. So you got double benefit out of that. And it's interesting that that uh, SQL Server's always sat in the middle, <laughs> some somewhere between yeah. the two. And and that's a significant challenge, even for things like I noticed TechEd in the US this year, where we've got now broken into two separate TechEds, like they did in Barcelona in Europe. But right. the separate IT Pro and developer tech heads, and I've heard endless discussion from people in the SQL Server community saying, "Which one do I go to?" Yes, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm in that position myself. Yeah, I've got to decide which week. To, I can't. I can't go to both. Um, I've got to decide which week, if any, to go to. And uh, yeah, following back, following up on on, on the old the, the old style certifications. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at my old transcript from when I took the uh, the SQL Server. Uh, well, I'm not scrolling down far enough to see this, but in the 6.5 time frame, my 6.5 implementing a design exam was an elective for my Visual Basic 6 era yes. uh, MCSD. And then my uh, my administrative exam 
wasn't elected for my MT4 vintage MCSE. Now, what I was coming to is that at that time, that was a very, very common elective, and a lot of people did it. If you go forward to the SQL Server 2000 timeframe, where we had the MCDBA uh, yeah. certification that appeared, which curiously related to both 7 and 2000, but... When we got to that point, there were then an enormous number of people who, or relatively, who did the certification. We've then moved to a situation where we've got the new certifications that are perceived as more difficult and uh, much more meaningful, perhaps, than the previous ones. But the thing that interests me is that there are now a significantly lower number of people who are certified from an employer's point of view. Does that then mean it's less meaningful because there are far fewer applicants who would have the certification in the first place. That's a possibility. I, I don't know that I've thought about it in exactly that way. And yes, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers, and we see that at the technology specialist level, there are, as of November, Microsoft said there were 20,000 uh, certified uh, technical specialists on, or technology specialists on 2005. And you compare that to the same time frame. Uh, there are uh, 148,000 MCDBAs on SQL Server 2000. Um, so does that, does, does Interesting. that change? What about, what about the current IT Pro business intelligence developer? Well, I have a couple of strong opinions on that, and, and, and Trika uh, over Microsoft Learning has given me grief for the way I express some of those. But I, I, I really think, and I, I don't know if we're, we're ready to change topics here yet, but I really think Microsoft made a mistake in abandoning the MCDBA name as a certification. I think uh, it was a perfect fact, name yes, certification. We will come back to that. I, I think okay. the thing I was getting at with the, the BI one at the moment, though, is that last time I looked, there was something like only 100 and something people. Uh, it may have gone at up. the IT slightly. Pro level? Yeah. I think... I think you're right. Um, I've got the numbers here, and at the database, wow, the database administrator, there's 3,200. Database yep. developer, 1,300. Business intelligence developer, 182. 182. I'll, I'll happily admit that I, I am one of those, and yet, uh, and ah. interestingly, I'll come back to the fact that I wouldn't necessarily consider myself all as strong as many of my colleagues in that same area. But uh, but, I, but I have done those. But I think the thing I was getting at is that if you look at that certification and you say, well, there are only 100 and something people with it in the entire world, is there any point to it for a, an employer? Because, I mean, if you specify it and say, look, look I really want someone who's got this, what's the sure. chance you're going to find one? And, and I think there's still, there's uh, I think a, a bit of education Microsoft could stand to do um, of employers into what the certifications mean now. I don't know that that's clear to a hiring manager or to human resources. I mean, what 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 is an MCTS? What is an IT Pro compared to what was an MCDBA? Yes. I think uh, not only are the numbers low, but I think the, the 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 certification name, value, and meaning have changed a bit. In fact, uh, uh, one of the things I think is very confusing for employers is that. Because there are so many certifications, as you say, most of them don't understand them at all. And right. what I see on people's resumes commonly is just something that says, I am Microsoft certified. Mm -hmm. And that could mean 
anything. Um, they don't even necessarily often say which product. <laughs> so, I mean, right. and right. so I mean, well, an look, look, employer look. who reads that, uh, it's very, very hard for them to know the difference. Well, let me ask you a question to turn this around a bit. Why are you SQL Server certified? Is it so that you can teach the classes? I, I think I'm a sp- probably in the special case, and I think you're probably in the same special case. The uh, one thing is I became a bit of an exam junkie somewhere in the past. <laughs> uh, I, I think that was forced on me by the MCT program at the time, where we, we had to endlessly do all the exams that were related to what we were teaching, and we had to right. keep doing new versions of the exams all the time to, to stay in touch with that. And so I did get a taste for just endlessly doing them at the time. What uh, I think what I've done from there, the reason I tend to do them, and so we're sort of really getting onto why would a person do it, but the reason I do it is that I, I love the fact that it makes me go off and explore parts of the product that I simply wouldn't do. Uh, if I, I see people endlessly who say, I have 10 years' experience using product blah, but the problem is that they've used maybe 20 or 30% of product blah for the last 10 years, and as additional features have been added into the product, they don't even look at them uh, necessarily un- unless it's, uh, it really, really becomes an imperative for them. Where I find if I'm doing the exams, my preference is to do the exams in the beta phase or beta phase. And the nice thing about that is it, certainly there, there's no materials that you can just run off and find to, uh, to uh, easily gain the certification. But the nice thing is that if you have a look, um, you get all the details of what you need to cover. I find that going through and forcing myself to cover all those different areas of the product has been very valuable because it it makes me look at areas of the product I simply wouldn't have looked at. Absolutely, and I think I think I find myself in that in that same category. My wife asked me once why I was reading a white paper on data mining. Uh, actually, one of my white paper, excuse me, it was a research paper from Microsoft Research, and, and she, she pointed out correctly that I don't have a math background, but I think I would be able to figure out from it. But uh, it's for the reasons the reasons you said. I needed to learn more about the under uh, the underpinnings of of this tool set, and that led me in that direction. Although the interesting thing about that is that I could do exactly the same thing without then continuing on and doing the exam. So that there's That's a separate. True. That the preparation work that you do, uh, doing the exam is a separate issue, really, and that's a, a thing that a lot of people see. They see that as a, a financial thing that they don't want, don't see any need to commit to at all. But the thing I like about doing the exam, and that may be just that the way I'm task driven, is that or deadline driven. What it means is that I will set myself a deadline by which I'm going to pass that. That then puts in train. Uh, my, my study preparation to make sure that I go through the product appropriately before that time. Yes. I, I, I tend to find that I respond better to uh, external discipline and structure and schedules than I do anything from within. So <laughs> signing up for an exam and then saying, okay, now it's time to sit, sit down and, and concentrate for a week or two is a good thing to do. Yeah. So from a but personal anyway, point of view, I see that. Do you think that there is value in terms of people having certifications resume-wise or CV-wise? I think there's still a bad taste in many people's mouths 
from the dot-com boom days and the days of the paper MCSE. Yeah, where, which, where, I should get you to define for those who haven't been involved. Sorry? Say again? I should get you to define that topic for those that haven't been involved. The ah, well, um, we, you still see... You see you still see a little bit these days. If, for example, you take a look at the certification news groups that, that Microsoft uh, runs of people asking for brain dumps or, or transcripts of exams or asking for sample questions or real questions. People who take the certification be, uh, without necessarily knowing the product, um, they, they cram for it or, you know, and of course the worst case is cheating, but the, a, a less worse case would be people who, uh, maybe our exam junkies, as, as you or I w- are, but I wouldn't say that either of us is, is necessarily paper certified. Um, but that back in back in the boom days, I think uh, there was a huge uh, explosion in, in the number of, of uh, people working in IT and uh, a, a pressure to become certified. And you had all sorts of people of varying backgrounds thinking that certification was a ticket to a better job and doing whatever it took to take the exam, whether or not they knew. Um, knew the products and technologies they were being tested on. And I think then what, where that led was uh, people being hired uh, in part because of perhaps inexperience uh, on the part of employers um, who couldn't do the job. And I think that left a bad taste in a, in, in a lot of mouths. And uh, so from an employer standpoint, I don't know that certification has recovered from that. And from a uh, from an IT worker's standpoint, uh, they perhaps don't want to become associated with it, don't see the value, um, or, uh, well, I think I've covered both outcomes. I, I tend to run into both of those types of, of people in uh, in my classes. I, I run into managers for whom certification is not a priority for their staff. I run into people taking the classes uh, for job knowledge only, but do, with no intention to certify. And, and by all means, I don't mean in any way to demean uh, taking a, the class for job knowledge only. That's that tends to be the focus uh, when I teach my classes. But nonetheless, certification is very low on, on, the, on the, the, the checklist of motivations for people taking Yes, training. it's interesting because when you were teaching classes many years ago, certification was the outcome that many people were looking for, where yes. it has quite changed around now that when you teach a class, it's job skills that people are yes. chasing, and certification is, a, is, is, is not the primary focus they're looking for. What, what's interesting, though, is that I have heard, it was interesting, even in my own uh, wife May's situation, uh, she changed positions uh, about a year or so ago, and the people that worked with her, where she previously was, said, look, it's completely irrelevant doing certifications, it makes no difference at all, uh, employers hate them, whatever, and I did encourage her to go through and do them, regardless, and interestingly, it was the thing, one of the things that ended up uh, helping her get into the position she's in. And it's, I think, largely because uh, in the SQL Server area, the newer certifications are, do seem to be understood as a, a bit of a cut above the previous types of certifications. The employer she was working for was very, very aware of the state of the SQL Server certifications and so on. They're deeply, they're a SQL Server organization uh, or based organization and they understood that very well. And secondly, of course, they're a gold partner with Microsoft and of course, anybody who is a partner organization needs to have 
appropriate numbers of certified people to yeah. retain their certification. So uh, in her case, even though everybody said to her, look, this is irrelevant, I, I can attest to the fact that it 100% definitely made a difference in her situation. And, and yes, and I see I see a number of people in my classes. I'll ask uh, in, in the Monday morning introductions or whatever the first day of the class is. I'll, I'll ask for a show of hands. How many of you are currently certified? How many of you are seeking certification? And for those who are seeking certification, I'll, I'll ask uh, who they work for. And almost 100% will say that they are working for a company that requires a certain number of of uh, certified professionals to meet partner requirements. Yeah. Now, uh, so even that, even that the resonates here. Yeah, even the requirements on that, though, it, it's funny how whenever someone puts a requirement in a program like Microsoft have for that sort of thing, when we had we had the situation with the paper MCSEs and so on, the other problem that I've seen occurring with the competency-based partner model, now the way the partner model works is that uh, people become Microsoft partner organizations and then they try to gain competencies in different areas. Now, part of the requirement for that is to have certain number of people certified in appropriate areas. Unfortunately, because that can become a big dollar incentive for these organizations, I've seen that whole area completely corrupted as well. Uh, A few years back, I had a call from uh, a local organization who will remain nameless, but it was a gold partner who had a Navision certification with Microsoft. Now, to retain that, they needed a certain number of MCDBAs. And they were more than happy to pay me five to ten thousand dollars simply to have my number associated with them, so that they could retain their certification. Please give them my email address. I can do five <laughs> to ten thousand. <laughs> and yeah, indeed. Now I, I said, oh no 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 no, because the thing is, I was associated with another organisation anyway. But it, it, I have heard of situations around this country specifically where I know of people who have definitely been paid to have their uh, numbers associated with other organizations. Certainly I've heard strong stories about it. Uh, And and that corrupts the entire thing again because the the perception from the customer's point of view is that that partner has people with those certifications, yet clearly they do not. Well, one of the f- things I found interesting, as I mentioned, I was doing a little bit of looking around before uh, before we, we were to talk, um, and I haven't seen this for 2007 yet, but um, if you look at the SQL Magazine 2006 salary survey, and I don't know how, uh, how, how much we can take what's in that as gospel, yeah. but there was an interesting comment in there, um, and I'm, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just read the two sentences that caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, the respondents to this year's salary survey already know about the importance of their core body of knowledge. They are a highly educated group. Most have bachelor's or postgraduate degrees. In addition, 52% hold some type of certification, and many of those are Microsoft certifications. Yeah. Now, when I read that, I was, I was a little surprised at um, how, uh, well, how, how weak the, the SQL Server certification came off in that description. That yeah. just only half of the respondents, and, and granted, these survey respondents are a self-selected group, but these respondents, only half of them were certified at all, and many of those apparently are some sort of Microsoft certifications. It, did, it didn't really read to me very strongly that SQL Server certification was something that they all had or were looking for or that the, that the editor of the survey even valued. Yeah. 
Actually, what's what's interesting, I did see a discussion on one of uh, our local mailing lists a little while ago, and they're often endless. To, one of the religious topics that comes up is, is certification. The But what was interesting was a comment from one of the guys who immediately dismissed any value at all in certification, and then tellingly, two or three posts later, said, oh, yeah, actually, I did do one exam once and failed. And so from that point on, there's no concept where he's then gone back and said, hey, I'm going to try and work out how to pass right. exams. His contention was, I didn't like the way the exam was structured or worded. Therefore, certification has no value. And, right. Uh, right. The sour grapes. It, yeah, it, it very much was a sour grapes thing. And I, I, I do think there's a degree of that in the community as well. Possibly, possibly. Um, so I guess the, the, the question that I haven't come up with an answer for myself yet is how valuable is certification to the IT worker? You know, you, 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 uh, uh, you, you mentioned the, the, uh, the positive experience of, uh, of, of certification. I certainly see lots of people pursuing, uh, pursuing it in one, in one field or another, but I don't, I don't know that there's any, any clear story there. Um, in the, I, I, in the correlation, correlation with experience is the key thing. If if I yeah. see a CV come along that says, "Hey, I'm certified," and there's no experience to back it up, then to me that's that's that is not a good thing. I mean, at at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I look at someone who has just experience, that rates way higher than the previous one. But if I find people with strong experience and certifications. Then, then I do see some additional benefit in that. Uh, one of the things I, I look at is that at least it tells me that, that they have some degree of discipline and so on, uh, and, and invest in some way in their own profession. Agreed. Agreed. Because I think there is definitely a commitment required to become certified. Um, uh, not, not the least of which is, is, uh, having to write a check to Prometric or whomever, uh, whomever your testing vendor is these days. Yeah. Uh, but uh, a time commitment, and, and it's, it's certainly a, a personal commitment. I think most people who certify, even for work, are having to do so, um, at least in my experience, they're having to do so off hours. They're not necessarily given time at work. Well, look, the last so topic it. I want to talk about before we take a break, and in the second half of the show we'll talk about what's required to become certified, uh, but we do have to tackle the whole cheating discussion. And Yeah. Are people really be the ones who are being certified? Uh, so, for example, uh, it, in, as you mentioned in the dot com days, it was very, very common to find lots and lots of sites all over the place where people would simply come out of exams, detail down everything that they saw in the exam, and there were lots of brain dump sites where you could easily, if you want, just go and get a copy of every single question that was going to possibly turn up on the exams. Microsoft stopped for a while providing some of the grading information, and it was interesting yeah. that that changed things because suddenly the brain dump sites didn't even necessarily know if they had the right answers <laughs> for the questions. So, uh, in fact, that could have been distracting. However, uh, another thing that was interesting is that the number of people who were taking the certifications just pr- uh, endlessly to produce uh, guides and things like that. I remember one of the trainers on the news group saying he, he was talking about some particular exam and he said he had to take it another four or five times yet 
and he was he was literally taking the exam to, to go off and then. Yes, I, I I remember the trainer. I remember the, <laughs> the discussion thread. <laughs> I remember, and I, and I was I was that was the first time it just struck me that anybody would do that. I was completely in awe that somebody would just endlessly <laughs> take the same exam. The and it was uh, another requirement that then came into the program is that you were only to take the exam for the purpose of certification. Right. And so the idea was it was that once you'd passed the exam, there was no point anymore in you being allowed to take it again. Uh, and in fact, it's now against the program for you to take it again because there is no value towards certification in you taking it again. But uh, I did sort of wonder, look, there have been numerous problems. Uh, they have some exam centres where clearly... Somebody has just sat there with a digital camera and just taken pictures of every single question that comes up in the exam. Because not only do the, the cheating things have the details of the questions, but they have the exact pictures that I remember seeing in the exam. There is no other way that somebody could have obtained that except for literally photographing or something, uh, every single exam, or having access to the exam preparation process. I mean, one of the, they are the only two ways you could do that. Uh, sadly, I'd say, look, even though there seem to be way less of those sort of sites and things available, uh, we had this discussion on the trainer group a little while ago about you know, how, how many of them are still around. I, I went and spent, I think, 15 minutes, and I was uh, I just picked an exam that uh, isn't one that I would be doing myself, and I found I could go off and pay $30 or something and immediately obtain... A, here, here's word for word what would be on the exams. Yeah. And there are still well, have, sites around where that... You, have you noticed, and, and do you think there's any uh, causality involved, that um, uh, I've noticed lately that a number of the, the, the beta exams have uh, geographical restrictions on um, what countries the exam will be offered in. And um, I wonder if, there, if Microsoft has identified patterns that way or if there's maybe there's something else behind it, and I'm I'm just guessing completely wrong. Yeah. But they're they're uh, it's very interesting to see that. Uh, I believe I was looking at one of the upcoming Windows Server exam beta notifications, and it said this exam is not available in India or China or Pakistan. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was an interesting uh, uh, assemblage, but I can't help but wonder if there's any any connection that would to that that. that Set of yeah, I think there have been a bit of a history of those things. Certainly, the uh, without picking on specific countries, uh, certainly it was a Chinese one that I was able to just go and pick. I picked some exam, as I said, one one that I have no interest in at all. But but I have no right. doubt that what I obtained was one hundred percent what you would what you would get on the exam. Uh, if yeah, I had, I think one of the ads said I could I could purchase a certification and uh, in-game gold for World of Warcraft with the same transaction. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Someone and, saw an opportunity. <laughs> I think that, and that's been part of the problem with the certification thing is that it is very hard to do the testing without some sort of face-to-face testing. Because uh, again, I have heard again there was a previous story in Pakistan. Where they had a training center where you would, you could literally pay to have someone sit and do the exam with you. Yes. And the more you paid, the better the person sat with you. <laughs> and, uh, it's just completely ridiculous. Now, when my, I gather when Microsoft identified that, they then disallowed all certifications that have ever come out of that center. 
that testing center, but the, the point is still there that when you are doing some sort of remote testing, it's very difficult uh, yeah. to make sure that you really are testing what you think you're testing. And that, that's, a, that's a hard problem to solve. I don't know what the alternative is that, that scales. You know, how do you maintain 100,000 certified professionals and require face-to-face testing or, or at least or uh, modify the existing setup? Yeah. I certainly don't have the answer to that. But anyway, the I think we'll talk a little bit about that when uh, I do want to talk about the SQL Ranger or um, Certified Architect down the track a little bit as well. But sure. we might just take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the various certifications that are available for SQL Server right now. Sounds good. Okay. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. So, Chris, I notice, of course, you're living in Colorado. That's right. And we were there uh, in Colorado recently for the, the past conference uh, in Denver, which I must admit I, I quite enjoyed, and I did get to take a little bit of a trip out and around uh, some of the areas in, uh, uh, in and around there. But have you lived there for a long time? Coming up on eight years. I've lived, uh, lived in the Silicon Valley area for a, a decade or more before that and grew up on the, uh, the east coast of, uh, of this country. So I covered both coasts and now I'm in the middle and I'm currently watching some snow melt in my backyard. <laughs> Looking forward already to spring. Yes. Yeah, so so yeah, at the sequel pass, I think I, I got all of about a minute and a half to, to say hi with you. <laughs> Indeed, uh, yes. Your wife. It's very, very short. Yeah, the, uh, and fact, I was uh, well, I was proctoring the hands-on labs uh, for, for pass this year, and uh, didn't get a chance to get out and circulate as much as as, uh, as I should have, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I did notice that. Yeah, you seem to be uh, very dedicated in the hands-on labs area and uh, almost chained to it. So it was good. From that point of view. Look, you're, I have you're a, welcome to say that. I I, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a friend. You know, I was trying uh, to think. The last time that uh, that uh, we got together in person, I think, was uh, for dinner in Sydney, in Sydney uh, yes. a year and a half ago. Yes, indeed. Yeah, no, I have a, a former colleague, uh, Chris Hewitt, and whenever he goes to these sort of conferences, he loves uh, attending the hands-on labs and proctoring in those areas. Uh, his his contention is that he just meets the most interesting people uh, when he's in there doing that, and uh, he almost prefers that to the whole rest of anything that's happening at the conference. <laughs> Well, if it weren't for the fact that I could watch the conference sessions after the fact on on DVD, I don't think I would I would offer to to proctor. Um, <laughs> but uh, this way, I get the best of both worlds. I do get to meet lots of interesting people, and and uh, and uh, uh, at the same time, uh, uh, never have to w- wonder what the rest of the conference center looks like because I'll never get to see it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned also uh, living with f- uh, family pets, computers, and guitars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so how many pets? I uh, share a house with uh, my uh, my wife, uh, who's also in, in IT, 
uh, formerly with Fun Microsystem, mm. uh, working on business to business stuff, and uh, our nine-year-old daughter Sarah, who's currently entertaining a playmate. Uh, and then we have what a dog, a couple of cats. Uh, used to have birds and fish, but somehow they didn't survive. <laughs> in fact, that, that's what intrigued me when it said pets plural, because uh, for, for many people, a single pet is uh, enough of a challenge. Well, we've uh, we've 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 maxed out, I think, at uh, uh, a, a dog, four cats, two birds, and a fish tank when we had some other relatives and their <laughs> pets living with us. But we've scaled back a little bit. Well, with the amount, uh, I must admit, with the amount that May and I travel, uh, a pet would not would not be a good option. Uh, in fact, we can't even look after the few plants terribly well that we have. Uh, uh, in the in the rear of the property, I always tell people I have to find ones that if I go to a, a nursery or uh, someone selling plants, I always have to find ones that thrive on neglect. <laughs> well, if it weren't for my long-suffering wife, I don't think any of the plants or pets would have survived. <laughs> Especially before I came on uh, board with Americheats last year, I was on the road two to three weeks a month, and so there was yeah. just no way a pet, I could have done it with a pet. But guitars as well. I had a bit of a midlife crisis a few years ago. <laughs> when I turned 40, I realized I really missed uh, playing music. I grew up playing several different instruments up through high school and college. And, yeah. and went about 20 years without and decided I needed to get back into it and have decided to learn guitar. And it's, a, it's a slow process, but very, uh, very therapeutic. I've got uh, a couple of them hanging on the walls here in my home office. Yes, now we have... Uh as I'm always amazed with the correlation between uh, musical instrument and uh, musical inter- interests as a whole and uh, IT, particularly people yes. more involved in development side of things. I think it really just has to be something to do with the similar creative nature of both or something. Uh, but uh, certainly there is a strong correlation between them. I, I think you're right, and I remember that even from my uh, my uh, academic Days and and my father, who's a professor, and his colleagues, there was a strong correlation, in the, especially the math faculty uh, between yeah. mathematicians and, and and musicians. And I'll never be that gifted, but I don't mind dabbling. Yeah, in fact, the the odd thing with that is that you'd think someone with more mathematical rigor would tend to be more precise, and uh, <laughs> it'd be a whole left brain right brain thing happening because you, you wouldn't think they'd have the creative nature that would be perceived to be required for musical ability. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we diverge. <laughs> the, uh, in terms of the current SQL Server certification, so what, what's on offer? Well, you've got some choices now, and this, is, this goes back to what we were talking about at the, uh, the, the, the start of the show a bit about some of the problems that were raised and were solved by SQL certification out of the more or less monolithic M- MCDBA certification of uh, SQL Server 7 and 2000. Yes, yeah, so uh, certified tracks. database administrator. Yep. Yes, the certified database administrator, um, which itself was a convergence of the, the former, uh, as we talked about, electives in database yep. implementation and database administration. Um, we've got we've got several different tracks now that uh, people can partake in, and uh, I imagine uh, just as, as I've done, you've you've uh, uh, partaken of all of the tracks. Um, and so we've got the uh, database ad- administrator certification at the technical specialist level, and then we've got the uh, IT pro level in uh, database administrator. But then we've also got 
two other tracks now. We've got database developer, and we've got business intelligence developer, which is brand new yeah. uh, in, in, in this version. And from what I understand from Microsoft, is going to expand more in uh, SQL Server 2008. Can I get your thoughts first up on the removal of the operating system certification requirements? Because, uh, as you say, back in previous days, and the database administrator type uh, certifications used to require that you also had some level of uh, operating system or server yes. uh, certifications. Now, it was always a contentious point, and a, a really good example of that, I remember, was when uh, people like Kalen Delaney, yes. uh, who said, that I have no interest at all in having a, an operating system certification. And the, ironically, people like Kalen, who were perceived widely as some of the best SQL trainers around, uh, were people who were then not eligible to be in the trainer program because they were not going to hold those certifications. That's right. Yeah, that was a sad day when Kalen announced she was no longer going to be a certified trainer. Yeah. Uh, for the reasons for the reasons you've said. And not not only for uh, the people who would be her potential students, but for all of the people who were in the trainer news groups who who would deal with her on a daily basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you think I wish I had insight in, into why Microsoft made the decision that they did to 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 uh, fully separate the uh, the operating system requirements from the DBA requirements, but I'm I'm glad they did because, um, well, as I jokingly put in the in the short bio I sent you for this session, I found myself overwhelmed uh, by trying to keep track of development and database work, and prior to that also had to keep. Uh, my, uh, uh, another set of toes in the operating system to understand yeah. what was going on there. And so it certainly made life easier for me to be able to focus on SQL Server and not also have to know everything there was to know about, for example, Active Directory, which I'm still intimidated by. Um, <laughs> Do you think, though, that there should be some level of uh, that? In a, I'm just thinking in the, in particularly in the administration side of yes. the certifications, it strikes I, me... I, I think... I think from a security and a communications standpoint, um, even more so in SQL Server 2005 and in 2008, we're, we're seeing more and more things that are, uh, that are leaving the sandbox. Uh, you know, the, the ability for uh, DBAs or, or the requirement for DBAs to open up ports for, for listeners, for things like web services or for service broker. I think that, that, uh, that gets back into needing to learn more about how the operating system is going to handle that. I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines that I don't remember seeing anything much in any of the exams about things like SAN environments, for example, uh, or things like uh, certainly nothing on SQL Server virtualization, for example, or things like that. Yet if I look at what administrators are faced with every single day, m um, many of them are, it's very rare that you find a large site now that does isn't in some form of SAN environment. True. And Although I, I think, in, in, in fairness, uh, we've got to look at the age of the uh, of the SQL Server 2005 exams. Yeah. Um, even if they're only uh, at most um, two years old, I don't think virtualization was in the front of um, your average DBA's mind two, two, two and a half, three years ago, the way it is now. Although I don't think there's any excuse for not not including SAN coverage. Yeah, I think, and I think what I'm leading to is. Going forward to the 2008 ones, which will come to uh, just as a suggestion, do you think there should be 
some sort of examination on those sorts of operating system concepts? From the perspective of the database vendor, yeah, Microsoft, of course, how do you, from a practical standpoint, how do you test on things like SANS that are uh, not owned and operated by Microsoft, not not something that comes comes out of the box with the operating system? I, I think that there's a need to demonstrate that knowledge, but does that belong... You know, I guess you could make the case that perhaps it doesn't belong in the TS level exam, but maybe you put that into the pro level exam or something like yeah. that, which we still need to figure out the difference between. Anyway, it, it's an interesting aside, but it's just the case that there were operating system requirements before uh, yes. certification. There aren't now. And ironically now, I think there's possibly even more need for it than, than there was before. Oh, so, I, I, I agree, absolutely. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen um, uh, the deer in the headlights look on a student when we're covering uh, SQL Server security and we start talking about uh, delegation or we talk about simply um, local groups and global groups. I think there are a lot of day-to-day uh, -day DBAs who never never need to know that or uh, never had a chance to learn it and now need to know it. So I yeah, think that, fact, that's a, I think a very good balance point. needs to be struck. Yeah, when you talk about things like particularly security of websites and things like flowing Windows authentication through to the database, and the whole idea of machines that are trusted for delegation and so on and so on and so on. There are just so many of those concepts that are not part of the normal SQL Server part of the competency. Agreed. Now, so we had, so we, yeah, as I said, I, I do have some feeling that there is a need for some more of that sort of thing. But regardless, so there are now TS level qualifications, and so these are really intended to be, would you say, the entry-level ones? I, I, I would certainly say they're designed to be the entry-level, and, and I think we've had official word on that from uh, folks like uh, Jerry O'Brien, um, who has, has in, in one or more of his blog posts, talked about uh, uh, the differences. I think he says that the TS level is designed to be the cert certification that provides, excuse me, it's designed to be the certification that pr proves skills in the how-to, um, whereas the pro is designed to be up into the, de the design layer. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, that's, that's a, a good differentiation to make. So, yeah, really the, the TS level exams are the, or the technical specialist ones are more the day-to-day -day skills where when you get to the IT pro exams, it does tend to test much more uh, in terms of design and architectural skills. Uh, and even in the flavor of the exams, I've found that in the IT pro area, you're more likely to get case studies. In the in the TS level exams, you're much more likely to get traditional uh, multiple choice type questions. Sure, sure. And I think going back uh, a, a moment to what we were uh, talking about in terms of operating system, I think it would be interesting if in the future Microsoft were to decide that there were certain how-to topics in the operating system space that needed to be in the SQL TS exams, and yeah. there were certain design-level operating system topics that needed to be in the pro-level exams, yeah. for example. So at the moment, there are two TS-level exams. So we have 70-431. Uh, so 431 is the general SQL Server implementation and maintenance type exam. That's right. Uh, there are, I gather, the... Materials that are available for preparing for these uh, vary enormously uh, between the different exams. 
uh, and we might make some mention of that later on. But uh, the other TS level exam is then the data, uh, the BI one, and so uh, so the BI one. So there's seventy dash four four five, and that's the implementation and maintenance one for the BI right. top. Yeah. Now, and I don't know what what your thoughts on that exam were. I, I I'm still scratching my head about the the, the intent of both the TS level and the pro level BI exams because what I what what we find is that they are very sweeping in the, in the sheer number of topics. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't somebody, could agree more. Uh, when I did when yeah. I did four three one, the thing that surprised me with it was the breadth of topics. It was almost like you needed to know a little bit about this, a little bit about this, and and what was amazing was just the breadth of things that were covered. Right. I mean, if you think about the BI exam, it's, it, there are um, multiple products and, and products that one person isn't necessarily going to uh, be working with day to day, I think, at least at the TS level. I mean, if you, yeah. if, if you think about the, the, the typical BI worker in, 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 in SQL tools, they're going to be focused on analysis services or they're going to be focused on integration services and or they're going to be focused on reporting. Uh, to include all three and data mining, I thought was an interesting, uh, an interesting yeah, question. I, I found the 445 exam, I, I found a very odd exam, and uh, uh, that's the BITS exam. Yep. Now, the thing that I found odd about it is it tended to examine, for me, what seemed to be some quite quirky little options uh, in the various products. And yeah. they did some of those things did not seem to me to be day-to-day type knowledge. Uh, in fact, the fact that there was such an option was good knowledge for uh, a design exam, but setting those sort of weird options uh, really struck me like something that just had no place in that exam at all. Uh, I, I did find that a very, very peculiar exam. Uh, interestingly, a colleague who specializes in BI areas, again, who's taken both the exams, found the TS exam more difficult uh, than the the IT Pro level exam uh, in the BI track. I would agree with that. I thought when I saw them in, in beta, I would definitely say that the TS was was more challenging. Which, I mean, to me, that does seem the wrong way round. <laughs> And well, so it, it explained the numbers. <laughs> so, certified people. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think four four five uh, people should not underestimate uh, the the breadth of what's examined in in that exam. Four four six is the design exam for uh, which is the IT Pro exam. So the idea is that if you do four four five the TS that's a that's a single certification all on its own. If they then take four four six they then get an additional certification uh, once they've already done 445 that takes them up to the IT Pro level, so Microsoft Certified IT Pro. And thoughts on 446? 446 was, um, as, as you mentioned, I, I don't think it was as uh, challenging in terms of detailed technical requirements. It still, it still required that you understood... Um, the, the, the scope of what uh, yeah, the BI tools did, and I, I, I'm still scratching my head, as I mentioned, as to whether all of those things really belong in one exam. 
Yeah. Okay, so then on the back on the relational engine side of the fence, uh, so that's the BI ones. In terms of the relational engine side, so we have 7431 is the TS exam for both the database developer and for the DBA. Uh, then if, you, if you're heading to the DBA platform, you have two exams additional to do. You've got... Uh uh, are we talking about the DBA side of things? So the DBA you've side. Got, you've got you've got four four four, which is the pro level optimizing and maintaining. Yep. Um, and then you've got four four three, which is on designing the infrastructure. Yeah. So I think that's the the key point there is that when you go to that next level, you then have two exams. One is an optimizing and maintaining type exam. The other one is a designing exam. And I found both of those exams very fair. And I think, and actually, kind of interesting, uh, interesting to take. I mean, having having been through several different versions of SQL certification exams, I think I enjoyed them uh, yeah. most. Which may mean I'm just a masochist, but uh, <laughs> uh, I found I found them uh, I found them quite interesting, and, and I think they solved some of the issues of, of, of earlier exams. Yeah. Um, I, d- I didn't end up taking them separately. I did do. We should mention that there is an exam called four four seven which is a transition exam for people who have done the previous MCDBA. Right. They don't need to do both those exams. They can do 447 instead, which which effectively how uh, I would describe as a combination of the questions from 443 and 444. Uh, right. But just you, you're basically doing both exams, but you're not doing the total number of questions that you do. So they've just got a selection. We should also point out, and I was confused on this at first, if you are a, a, a SQL Server 2000 uh, MCDBA and you want to take that transition path, you'll still need to take uh, exam 431, yeah. uh, which is a TS-level uh, SQL implementation Correct. exam. Yeah, so you still need to take the, that first exam. Yep. That's right. But I think I, I think the reason I got to see all the exams was, was almost by accident. I, I took 447, and I wondered why, even though I passed it, I didn't see the new certification on my transcript. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I need to go take 443 and 444. And then someone said, no, you just now need to take 431. So somehow I wound up seeing uh, all the exams. <laughs> That's a pity. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Well, happily, my my uh, my uh, my employer also has a, a, a testing center, so I didn't have to walk very far. Okay. <laughs> and for the da- now for the so that's a DBA for the database developer side. Again, you need the same TS exam, the four three one, but you then need four one and four four two, which again are one's a designing and optimizing exam, the other one is a is a design exam. I don't think I took both of the the the, uh, the, the developer ones after I figured out my uh, my upgrade error. Yeah. I'm trying to uh, trying to quickly look, look through. The, uh, I'd have to comment. I found both of them. Uh, they were very very similar in structure and nature to the, the DBA ones. The uh, where effectively you had one exam that was primarily a, a case study based exam, and. Mm-hmm. The other one was very much a uh, multiple choice type exam. Should mention for people, uh, maybe uh, you've done some of the case study ones. Maybe just a quick description of when we say a case study exam, what what is different about that? Sure. Although I, I wanted to mention one thing about uh, about those exams that caught me a little by surprise, and I, I suppose in, in 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 hindsight I shouldn't have been caught by surprise. There was a bit more client access. Uh, uh, 
discussion than, than I, I, I expected. I think I, I, uh, I should have boned up more on uh, ADO.net and some old ADB uh, material before I, before I sat those. Yes, that, in fact, uh, I do remember that sort of content being there. Yes, that's, that's a good, good point. However, that's uh, worth mentioning that there are preparation guides and almost invariably you'll find that that sort of thing is spelled out in the preparation guide, isn't it? So, uh, and it's, it's and very I, I will easy post to it. miss some of the breadth of what they're getting at. That's right. And I will post a link to uh, each, each of these preparation guides and the, uh, the requirements pages on my blog at some point. Okay. Let me know when it's okay to provide that address. Yep. Um, but I will post links to all of this. As a quick reference to anybody who's actually listened this yeah. far into the program. <laughs> no, actually, we've just, just been revamping uh, the website the last week or so, and uh, we're turning it around where there will be a, a much more complete page associated with each of the um, podcasts, and in that we will finally have all uh, decent show links and things off off from that. So. Oh, very good. That, that will all appear very, very soon. The right. And so... Yeah, I think the ben, oh, we were saying yeah, the case study stuff. Uh, excuse me, to answer your question about the the, the, the simulations, um, those those can be a bit of fun, um, as, as I'm sure you recall looking at them, where you're presented with a case study and then asked questions about how you would how you would design a solution that met the requirements. Um, I think I think the only big challenge to those is how quickly one can read. Yeah. In yeah, fact, it's interesting. Thing, you know. Yeah. So what what you have is you have a, a a story that they've spelled out. It tends to be from the perspective sometimes of different people in an organization, which which is quite like a bit like real life, and where different people will have very different opinions on what's required. And then you'll have questions that talk about what needs to be achieved, and then you have options on how how you would then achieve that. And so, in fact, the case study ones I find probably a lot more realistic uh, in, in many ways than some of the other style of questions. Well, the, in part, of that depends on what, on what organization you come from, because there are many organizations out there where requirements are never communicated. <laughs> never communicated. You just have to start yes. working. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, point taken. The, one of the things you did mention, though, the, the reading speed. Now, one of the things yeah. I've found is that uh, people do find the case study exams uh, onerous to to take, and yeah. the part of the discussion there seems to be two approaches. One is that you sit down and you read the entire case study, then you go and answer the question. Typically, there would be what eight to ten questions per case study, something like that. And then okay. the problem with that is after you've read all that, you've then got to completely forget that and then read another case study with a whole lot of detail and do the same thing again. And I think where people find a problem with it tends to be a, a sort of a concentration problem yeah. where you've yeah. got to forget all of this stuff that you just read and then read another whole lot of detail. Well, as a, as a comparison, um, I don't know how familiar you are with, uh, with uh, the, the American education system and uh, college preparation exams. Well, but we have a... a, a Several different types of, of pre pre university exams called the the, the uh, standard uh, standard aptitude test, the SAT, or a couple other relative, uh, relatives of it. And for a number of years, I uh, I, I paid for my, my beer in college by teaching uh, SAT exam preparation seminars. 
Yeah. And we used to teach tips and tricks on how to take standardized tests. And I got to yeah. say that those t- tips and tricks uh, uh, still help me to this day t- t- uh, taking these exams. And one of the things we used to do is in those exams, there were these lengthy, what we call reading, reading comprehension sections, where you have a very long passage to read and then follow-up questions. I used to advise my students to, to skim the questions first so that then they went back to the, to the text. They uh, could sort of filter out things that weren't related to the questions. And I find that approach still works on these case studies. It's very interesting you say that. And, and the, the reason is that I do exactly the same thing. Uh, I've found that when I'm taking the case study exams now, I have completely changed how I take them. Uh, in fact, uh, I've often had many of the case study na- exams now are complete in less than half an hour. And yes. you think, oh, my God, how could you do that? But the thing is, I simply don't read all, all of the material. Um, what, I would, what I tend to find is I go and look at the questions, and if there are, say, six to ten questions in a case study, I find that at least three or four of them, or, or more than half of them, I can often answer completely unrelated to the case study. And so uh, they're just something that is completely true or not true to do yes. with the product. Yes. Unrelated. I, I, I don't know if I've had quite that many uh, that, that are answered that way, but I, I've certainly had a, a few where I could answer them based, just like you say, based yeah. on the knowledge of the product. And so what I then find is I've then got a small number of questions I need to find an answer to, and then I just go and look at that part of the case study That's to right. find an answer. Right. And so I, I simply don't end up reading all of this material. The other thing I find about that is it then completely fixes the comprehension problem for me. Because I'm not trying to read and comprehend and then forget all yeah. this stuff and then read something else again. And while personally I'm not much of a fan of test preparation software, mentioning no specific vendor name, yeah. I do recommend to uh, my students who've never taken an exam that, that they do pick up a copy of a measure up or a self-test or, uh, or, or, or thereabouts to learn the format and to practice on that kind of technique while not yep. necessarily trying to learn the technical content from the practice exam. In fact, that's a good point, is that the, the technique for taking the exams, it does get easier the more you do. That, that's, that, that there is no question, because you, you do learn the way they tend to ask questions and so on. Yes. Um, I think the... Uh, in general, if you had to give general advice or tips and tricks, uh, I, I would say invariably, if you've given a choice between a newer Microsoft technology and an older <laughs> Microsoft technology, uh, there's no big surprise there that it's probably likely to be the newer one uh, that they're looking I, I, I'd say that. But a very specific uh, tip I have, uh, if, you're, if you're taking a test question that is uh, not a choose more than one, but you're, you can only choose one of the, the four choices, for example, yeah. sometimes you'll, you'll find that they are, uh, especially if it's a code snippet, if the code, the code snippets are virtually identical, if you can recognize that the second or the third choice has all but, you know, all but one keyword differs, just focus yeah. on where they differ. Don't worry about reading all Actually, of the code. Yeah, that's a code. really good point, yeah, because you often see so many code samples, and that's right. I found what I do now is I sit there looking at the, looking at the code samples and just finding the words that are different. And, yeah, and yeah that's the yeah. thing to focus on. Uh, yeah. r- and also, if you've got two choices that are uh, functionally the same and you can only pick one, you can't, the, the, you, they can't both be right, so they're both wrong. 
So yeah. go look at the other choices. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great tip as well, yeah. <laughs> that's completely right. That's right. If they both end up doing exactly the same thing, then, then it's... That's right. They can't both be right. And it, it just goes back to just knowing how to take tests. And, and I'm, I'm forever appreciative of the, the several years I spent teaching SAT, SAT preps. In fact, I can count as one of my former students a, a, a current actress and supermodel. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's got to be somewhere. Well, look, anyway. one of the things that should be mentioned, though, I think I was only half-jokingly talking about the new technologies. Uh, it is important to realise that the I, I, I'm sure that the marketing or product group guys are, certainly have direct input into the type of things that end up in the exams uh, or certainly review status on those. And so there, there is always going to be a, a little bit of a marketing bent or something in some of the questions or... or the questions will be pushed in a way that they cover the new features and things rather than necessarily just the existing features. Well, I think we would have to both state very clearly for the record that we would be speculating to state that, but I think yes. that's a pretty, pretty <laughs> safe statement to make, yes. Yeah. I, and look, part of, the, part of the, the reason I say that is that one of the other types of questions that has appeared in recent years are the simulation questions. Now, simulation questions are ones where you're presented with something that is somewhat like uh, the, the real interface of the product, and they're then getting you to change or modify configurations in some way. Now, one of the things that did frustrate me in one of the uh, SQL exams, I, I won't mention which one, uh, but sadly the choices that you ended up having to make for, I'm sure, what was the right answer were simply really poor practice. Um, <laughs> and and I, I did go back and talk to one of the people who had generated the question in the first place, and I said, what on earth were you thinking? <laughs> you know? And... And what he said is he said the, the question made perfectly good sense, but right in the final review phase, one of the people that were doing the review required them to insert another feature of the product uh, that had mentioned to that point. And in hindsight, that was the thing that had undone the complete point of the question. And so it was actually at the final review stage after everything had occurred that that's where the question came unstuck. And so what was sad about it is that the correct way to answer the question was to configure the system in such a way that was probably the least desirable way you would actually do it with given the appropriate equipment. And so that does lead me a little bit on to the final thing uh, before. I just want to talk a little bit about the Ranger in a moment. But the final thing is uh, errors in the exams. Um, do you find errors in the exams? Yes and no. <laughs> um, I, I have noticed errors in, in exams, and I think it's um, – uh, I'd like to come back and talk about comments and review in just a moment here. Yeah. But I, I think there are, there are errors in, in exams. Uh, I, can think of, uh, I, I can think of some situations similar to what you described or the dreaded uh, uh, drag and drop the tiles to rearrange and create a, a flow of steps where some of yes. the – the choices didn't make any sense. But by the same token, um, there, there's been at least one occasion I can think of, which is why I said yes and no, where I was convinced there was an error in the question and it was simply a gap in my own knowledge. So I want to be, yep. I be uh, careful about uh, 
about blaming the test when it turns out I didn't know something. Oh, yeah. There, fact, are, there are errors. And, fact, that's a common thing I hear is people say, oh, it had all the wrong things. But when, when I talk to them, there, there clearly is a gap in, in their understanding. Yeah. So yeah. it is very hard for a test taker to know if, if there is an actual error in the, in the test. Right. It, it will only be someone with specific knowledge and fairly experienced with the product. But the thing is, in the end, even if you think there's a problem, there is an opportunity there to comment. That's right, and I, th I think we, we want to clarify something that's a, a fairly recent, as I understand it, and that is the the issue. Um, one of the issues revealed when Microsoft uh, uh, changed over to using Prometric as a, as an exclusive test provider is that for somebody like myself who had previously uh, used uh, uh, View almost exclusively, I found that the test engine looks a little different in Prometric. And there is, there, in view, there was a review option and there was a comment option that you could tick off in each question that would give you the opportunity to go back uh, and look at the question or add your own comment. If I understand it correctly, in the Prometric engine, there's just a review checkmark. Yeah, and there's a little so checkbox for that which says, hey, I want to go back and review this later. Right. As a personal thing, I have never, ever used that those checkboxes. I've done now, I think, 50-something exams. I've, I've never used that. Uh, and that, that's just a personal thing. I find that I go through the exam once, get to the end, and there's no way I want to go back and look at any of those questions uh, again. We're, we're very different there because I use it heavily. <laughs> My goal is to see all of the questions, and, and that's where the case studies and, and testlet approach breaks down for me a bit. Yeah. But I try to get through and see all the questions as quickly as I can answer all the ones I can off the top of my head as quickly as I can, and then go back and use that review for anything that needs a little bit more time. And yeah. it may not be because I'm not sure. It may be something where I need to go back and read the syntax carefully. But my yeah. first pass-through is very quick. Yeah. Um, but what we're hearing from test takers these days is that you've got to know that that review uh, checkmark is for both comments to Microsoft about the exam as well as to be used by a test taker who wants to go back and review the questions like I do. Yeah. So, look, definitely encourage people to pass feedback back on the various yes. questions. Uh, it, it really, really does get read, and uh, it, when they re uh, do reviews on the exams, I mean, it, it will be looked at at some stage. Um, that said, I've, I've had uh, now, I think, fairly good experiences in the quality of the delivery and so on of the exams. Uh, if I go back to the earliest, some of the earlier ones I did, like I did a SQL Server 4.2 performance tuning exam, that, that was easily just one of the hardest and worst exams I've ever done. And the reason <laughs> is it had literally faulty questions. It, it had things like pick, pick two of the following and gave you a radio button, so there was no way you could pick two of the following. Um, I mean, things as, like that. As a note, you, 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 mentioned, you mentioned that in one of the, uh, the earlier podcasts in your series, yeah. and I... And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I was listening to it in the car with my nine-year-old daughter who was in the back seat. And when we got to that, she said, Daddy, what, what's a radio button? So I had to pause the podcast playback and explain checkboxes and radio buttons and why I was laughing at your comments. <laughs> but, yeah, as I said... So there's another generation who's listening to SQL Down Under. <laughs> there you go. The, so, yeah, look, those sort of silly things I, I found very much weeded out now. I, I, as we go forward, the... the the basic quality of the delivery and things like that is pretty high. I agree. Uh, we should point out, I think, that, that uh, I don't believe individual test takers will ever directly hear back when they've left a comment or left feedback. Oh, no. Yeah, in indeed so. That, that's right. It, it very much goes into a process that, 
that is one way when when you do that. Yeah. Now, the the last certification I did want to mention is a, a new beast, which is the Microsoft Certified Architect program, and uh, in the SQL case, this is often called the SQL Ranger uh, program. That's right. And now this is a very specialized program, uh, and what what it does address is the need for much more realistic certification. And so it requires typically a, a fairly intensive course of study, and then it requires you to. Uh, one of the requirements is that you turn up and arrive at a, a board review, and you have several people there who examine you orally, and and you simply have to answer the questions to their satisfaction. I think that's as close as Microsoft certification is ever going to get to a, an academic PhD program where yeah. there's an oral exam. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you th- I mean, the problem with this, obviously, is scale uh, yeah. and cost. Yeah, so, agreed. Yeah. I think it's what, what's, what's the cost to, for, to apply for the architect program? Is it $10,000 per applicant? It's, it's fairly high, yeah. And yeah. also, the, it's worth noting that if you have to do it again, it, uh, I gather you pay for it again. Uh, and, in fact, that's worth mentioning on the normal exams, too, that uh, apart from the special retake offers and things that have appeared a bit in recent times. In general, uh, when you've taken an exam, you've paid for it once, so that that doesn't entitle you to keep taking it forever. Correct. Um, And we should point out, yeah, in terms of the special retakes, I believe Microsoft still has the uh, exam insurance offer available. Um, I'll put a link uh, to uh, Trika's blog at MSL that talks about how that works, but uh, I believe if you if you register in advance, you can take the take the exam the second time at either a reduced cost or free. Although if you fail well, so both times, I believe there's still a 14 day cooling off period. Yeah, actually that's worth answer. mentioning too. That's right. If you do manage to fail an exam uh, more than once, you you can't just keep taking the exam. You do have to have a delay before you're allowed to take it again, and uh, that and I does. I believe get- that was. It, 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 I believe yeah, that was implemented to, to prevent piracy. Yeah, well, I think that's right. That that would help because otherwise people could, again, just turn up and keep taking the exam uh, l- intentionally failing and then just using it to remember all the questions in detail. Um, right. So that, that sort of thing is uh, simply not allowed either. And, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a good move in, in that direction. Um, the other thing is that if somebody's failed an exam twice in a short period, they, they clearly need to go back and, and do some further research anyway. Well, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we'll do funny uh, things under pressure, otherwise. It's been most interesting, Chris, and uh, thanks for your time. But the what have you got coming up in your world or in your future? Will we see you anywhere? Well, I am teaching in Denver um, for the uh, foreseeable future. Um, I've been I've just absolutely loved coming on board at Meriteach um, after years and years as a road warrior. Um, and getting to rub elbows with people like Russ Kaufman um, uh, daily are a good thing. I've got uh, I've got my uh, my usual load of, of SQL classes coming up the next uh, the next month or so. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to the first week in February, where uh, the first half of the week is the, the Microsoft Certified Trainer Summit in Redmond. Yes. And then the second half of the week, I'm sticking around for the SQL 2008 Jumpstart training. So I'll get to uh, spend a few days basking in the uh, the presence of uh, Kimberly Tripp and Paul Randall, for example, learning about what's coming up. Uh, but there are different tracks for that one. Are you in the... There are, and the BI one apparently sold out very, very quickly. Yes, it did. Uh, um, there are so different I'm... rooms for that, so yeah. It's, uh... 
So which track? Yep, you and I think they're streaming some of these to the web as well. Yeah. But, uh, which track? I'm did you looking end forward up to that. Pardon? Uh, which track did you end up in? I'm going to be uh, in, in the uh, administration and engine track, I believe. Okay. Excellent. Uh, which is, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to not only getting out of the classroom for a few days, but getting uh, getting to absorb as much as I possibly can about. That's uh, good. And so yeah. You have a session there, so delivering those. Yeah, we've got Kim Tripp and Paul Randall, uh, yep. both both former guests on the show. So we say hi to Kim and Paul. That's right. But, uh, That's right. Okay. Well, listen, thanks again for your time, and uh, appreciate uh, spending the uh, summer. Sure, I'd like, like, let me mention one more thing before you, yeah. uh, you, you pull the plug on me. Um, for those folks who are looking forward to SQL Server 2008 um, uh, certification, Microsoft will be having a live meeting uh, on SQL Server 2008 certifications uh, on February 6th, and I'll put a link on my blog to uh, to register for that if people want to follow that up. Excellent. Well, thanks again. Carry Chris. on pulling the plug on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, not a problem. And we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Greg.